time with God every day, every day, every day. I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. 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 I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy. 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 I will be. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. Uh, when I was growing up, well, actually, I'll tell you, a couple years ago, some of my friends and I were sitting around telling stories about when we were growing up and different games that we played and, and things of that nature. And, and so I started talking about, um, when I was growing up, we, uh, we used to play a game, it's called Kiss Tag. I don't know if any of you played this game. I, don't worry, I stopped when I was like 19, 20. But, uh, you know, basically it's like freeze tag. But in order to get unfrozen, you have to be kissed by, by a, if you're a dude, by, by a girl. And, uh, and so this was a game, this is Oklahoma, this is what we did. And so uh, we, were, we were sitting around talking about these, and apparently they played this game in Texas as well. And uh, I remember very distinctly uh, my current wife, who, uh, current as in she is now my wife, and forevermore my wife, and I've never had another wife. Uh, but at this time, she was not my wife, nor was she even my girlfriend. Uh, she apparently played this game too, and uh, she had a. She, she was telling us about it, and she she said something that um, everyone that was there to this day remembers and quotes. She was talking about playing this game. She was like, "Oh yeah, we used to play that when we were when I was growing up. Yeah, they couldn't catch me. I was pretty fast." Which is such a great insight into her character. Because the point of kiss tag is to get caught. You want to get caught. That's why you play the game. And yet she was like, oh yeah, we used to play that. They couldn't catch me. That was pretty fast. And she was so proud of herself for being fast. And I'm sure all of the boys were like, that Amy, why is she running so hard? The point is to get caught. We're, t- we're talking about chasing God. We're talking about being in desperate pursuit of God. And uh, I think a lot of times we feel like pursuing God, we feel like this, this idea of being a Christian is a little bit like, like playing chase, where you're running after someone who seems to try to be getting away from you. Um, and, and, and it seems hard at times. I want to read Acts 17, 26 and 27. It says this, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Verse 27. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. I think it's so intriguing. This verse, basically what this verse says is you were placed on earth at a specific time in a specific place so that, because in this time, in this place, this is the best possible time for you to pursue God. And he, it says he, does the, he did this so that men would seek him, perhaps reach out for him, and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Here's the deal, friends. We do, it, it does seem at times like we're playing chase, uh, but God wants to be caught. The whole point of this chase is that he wants to be caught. He sets you up so that you'll seek after him. So that you'll reach out for him. If you look at, at, at um, what this word means in the Greek, it, it's, it talks about it, like blind men reaching out for, for what they can't see so that they can keep walking and groping the walls and reaching out. God wants you to reach for him. It says perhaps you'll reach out for him and find him, 
though he is not far from you. See, this whole idea of desperate pursuit is that we are in pursuit of a living God who keeps asking us, come on, come on, come on. But he wants to be found. Our favorite verse around here, you know, James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I mean, the whole thing, as you guys, you guys have been reading Pursuit of God, right? And the whole idea of pursuing after God, he's already pursued you. He wants you to pursue him. He said, come on, come on. But even the idea in us pursuing him, there is more joy in what, when we encounter him because of the pursuit. There is more enjoyment in interacting with him because of the pursuit, because of, of wrestling and because of the seeking after him. It's amazing how much the Bible does talk about seeking after God. A couple verses. Um, Jeremiah 29, 13. Most of us know this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's a promise. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That, in, that implies a couple things. One, that we have to seek him. Two, that in, in finding him, that means that it's not just right there, ready, set, go. You said the prayer, now you have just, you know everything. I think most of us know that. Most of us know that we're on some sort of journey and we, are, we, we know more about God today than you did a year ago, I hope, you know. And, and so as we, we will, you will seek him and find him when you seek him with all of your heart. Matthew 7, 7, popular one, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. This, this element, this piece of the vow that's called desperate pursuit. And I just kind of sat down and I started thinking about it. And what is desperate pursuit? What does that mean to live in desperate pursuit? And I think it's, it's a combination of both, one, our heart's longing for him. Our heart's desire to know God. But it also entails actual action. It means we actually do, it, it's not enough just to want there does need to be some sort of action towards God, some sort of pursuing Him, hence the word pursuit. There has to be some, some action that, is, that, that correlates with that desire. And I think that even the nature of you being here, you're saying, I have a desire to know God, and I'm taking some steps, I'm taking the steps that I know in order to find Him. So tonight, I want to just talk about a few different ideas. I, I want to talk about... Uh, as you are here, I want to, first off, I want to really validate the hunger that is in your heart. The, the idea that you're here means that you want more of him. It means you're taking the steps to, to live in the, this idea of desperate pursuit. Though some days you don't feel like it. Though some days you wake up and you're like, I don't know if I really want to do this. Overall, you're saying, I'm going to put myself in a place that's going to force me to spend time with God. It's going to force me to pray. It's going to force me... To, to live a life that is set apart, the nature of doing that is saying, yeah, I really want to know you, God. I really want to chase after you. So I want to just, first off, let you know, your being here is that statement. And so I'm going to talk to you tonight as though you are the hungry ones, because I believe you are. I'm going to talk to you tonight as though you are the ones that are doing things in order to reach after God, in order to, to, to look at for Him, in order to seek Him. I want to start just kind of by, by talking about some of the things that the, that the enemy will bring against you. Um, I, was, I was up in the mountains here in Colorado uh, we, doing a, a retreat one time, and we were all locked up in this cabin. It was actually, it was a, a silence and solitude retreat. And so we were, we were all uh, in this cabin 
but we were all being silent and alone all day. Very awkward. And uh, like you'd be sitting on a couch next to somebody not talking for eight hours. That's weird, you know. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, but we were up, we were up and in the mountains and um, must have been during a non-silent time. Uh, I remember someone was like, dude, there's a bear outside. And so some of us guys thought it would be a great idea to run outside and go look at the bear. And so we did. We ran outside and uh, we were looking for the bear. And it was, you know, there's snow everywhere. Uh, and so it was because it's Colorado and cold and mountains. And so we're up there and, and we get out into the woods and we're looking for the bear. We're looking all around. And then we see the bear. And all of a sudden the idea to go look at the bear was no longer such a good idea. Because there is a bear outside. And now I am outside. What am I doing outside? I was safe inside. And now I'm looking at a bear. I grew up in Oklahoma. We didn't have bears and mountains. Uh, we, had, we had zoos. And uh, we had this place called Arbuckle Wilderness. Where you could drive your car around and see animals. I'd seen bears before. Bears were nice. They're cute. They look fluffy and make stuffed animals and that look like them and they're they're sweet bears are bears are so nice when they're behind bars bears are great when they're in a cage looking at a bear not so great i went camping one time in new mexico now don't get me wrong i don't spend all my time in the mountains no camping this is like the one time in my life i've been camping um and actually, I should tell you, like, if we're talking about, like, pursuit, I should tell you, like, some really awesome, sweet hunting story where you're, like, chasing down. I don't have any of those. I've never been hunting. So, so, I didn't, so I'm not. I was camping in New Mexico one time, and uh, my, we were just like, dude, this would be great. Let's just, we'll just drive up into the mountains. We'll pitch a tent, and we'll just camp. And so that's what we did. We woke up the next day to a herd of cattle all up in our camp. Let me tell you, cattle is nice. They're sweet from a distance behind fences. When they're stomping on your tent, all of a sudden you see them in a new light. You see them as a, oh, this thing is five times my size. Some of, you know, five times, some people ten times, whatever. Seeing th this, these massive animals in public, not in public, in their domain, <laughs> it gives you a new light into what they are. Because I'm so used to seeing them tame and caged. I asked Jonathan Miller if he had any wild animal stories. He told me he sat on a horse once. I was very proud of him. I was like, wow, a horse. That's, that's great, buddy. So anyway, sorry to throw it under the bus there. Here's the deal, friends. I believe that one of the things, one of the enemy's strategies against you pursuing God is to cause you to act like a caged animal. There's there, not the animal out in the in the wilderness, forest, you know, that is a lot. I mean, you know, like the, the, the lion, that it's, you know, the lion is the king of the jungle because he retreats before no one. And yet most of us have seen lions and they're hand-fed their meat. You know, anybody see the movie Madagascar? You know, that's what we're talking about. You know, like you got this lion running on a treadmill. I know it's a cartoon. Just so you know, I do recognize that. There's this lion running on a treadmill that doesn't know what it means to be a lion, goes out into the wild, thinks it's some great place, and all of a sudden finds out he's not so tough. 
I think that's one of the, the things that the enemy will try to come and make us be, is he wants us to be tamed, Christian. He wants us to be caged just a little bit. So I want to start tonight by talking, and this is not, uh, just so you know, I'm, I'm not planning on being entertaining tonight. I'm not planning on, uh, I, I just want to go over some basic stuff. And uh, just kind of, this is, in, in some of my experiences, uh, I just want to help you see some stuff that maybe you won't, haven't seen, or maybe it's things you have seen in your life. And uh, I just want to talk about them. I want to I start by talking about the way that, that the cages that we allow ourselves to be in, in our pursuit of God. The, 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 the things that are surrounding us, the things that, that cause us to act, you know, I mean, obviously most all of, well, I won't say most all, many of us here have read uh, Urban McManus's book, The Barbarian Way. You know, the, the, those ideas get us excited. You know, watching Braveheart, for, for me, was one of the things I loved watching that movie. It, I, I, that's the kind of, I wanted to emulate that in my Christian walk. And I think there's something exciting about, about that idea, but so often, as Christians, we just become kind of tamed. And we become kind of caged, if you will. So I, I, I have six things that I think the enemy will come and try to do to you to make you tame. And you're chasing after God. First thing, the first thing is the American dream. Number one is the American dream. Bigger house, bigger car, nicer things, 2.5 kids. The idea of getting things will kill you in your pursuit of God. And let me say, from the beginning, most all of you say, I know that. But most all of you are 21 and have nothing. And uh, one day you'll start to get things. And then it's how your heart responds. I, I, I want to start with this, not because this is the, the easiest one to start with, but because this is the one that I have seen take out the majority of people that I know who at 20 and 21 were running hard after God and at 29 and 30 are tamed. It's because when they were young, they had a big dream. And then along the way, they got a job that started paying them pretty well. And they decided that they wanted a nice car. They deserved a nice car. And so they started paying payments on this car. And they, they wanted a nice house and a big house. And they just started getting things. And all of a sudden, the, the heart that so wanted to reach the nations for Christ now wants to fund the nations for Christ. And then moves to, wants to fund their own fun. It's just this crazy thing. Possessions will trap you. I'm not telling you not to have things. I want you to get real clear. I'm not telling you not to own things. But uh, the, the truth is, is that the more we seek after what we view in America as our right, it's my right, I, the American dream, I can become whatever I want to be. And, and so what it looks like is I get a job that pays well and and I start getting more and more responsibilities. And what we end up doing is we let the lesser responsibilities dictate our lives. So I'm not saying having a house is bad. I'm not saying having a car is bad. But ultimately, your responsibility is to God. And your responsibility is to what God has called you to do. And so often what we do is we get all these other things. And then the lesser responsibilities become our excuse. I'd love to go to the nation's. But how would I pay my mortgage? I can't do it. You know, I'd love to. 
And it's not even, that's kind of drastic, and, and that is one that, that we've seen, obviously. That's, you know, but, but even in a more simple way, I've just seen just the love of things take over in people's hearts. It's kind of the, the, the famous line that the things you own end up owning you. And, uh, and so what we do is we scale down our pursuit of God because we have other good things that are taking up our life. I'm not saying they're bad. I don't want you to hear me saying that they're bad. I'm saying that some good things take up your time and your effort, and they're, they're legitimate. But what you do is you allow good things, and I'm not putting this on you. I'm saying people will allow good things to become the excuse for going after great things. And so good things become the excuse for not pursuing God. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, I'm just telling you from my experience, ahead of time, before you get trapped, and maybe some of you already are, I don't know, it's something that it's good to ask yourself. But before you get trapped, the idea of bigger, better, badder in America will shut you down in your spiritual intensity. If you're always going after the newest, latest, and greatest thing, then it will shut you down. Uh, I, I mean, I, we, we've read a book before in, in the furnace about a guy who's saying, possess nothing, make your own clothes. I'm not telling you to make your own clothes. Because you don't have to make your clothes. You can buy some clothes. But what I'm saying please, some of you. No, I'm just <laughs> But what I'm saying is don't let, don't let the, the pursuing after the things of this earth cause you to lose sight of the, of, the, of the kingdom that you're really a part of. Does that make sense? So that's one of the things that I think really uh, has caged a lot of fervent young men and women. It's just been the pursuit of the American dream, if you will. There's a song that plays all the time on my on my worship playlist that has a line, wake me up from the American dream. And uh, I love that. You know, it is, I want to wake up from that. And I want to have a, a heaven dream, not an American dream. Second thing, number two, uh, the thing that I've seen, that, or the thing that will keep you caged, the thing that will keep you tame, is getting comfortable. Being comfortable. And this probably flows from the first A.W. Tozer says this, complacency is the deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Complacency is the deadly foe of all spiritual growth. One of the greatest hindrances in your pursuing God could possibly be the routines that you've created. And not, and I'm not even, I even think good routines. Things that, that maybe you've set up to keep you thinking that you're pursuing God. Because here's the problem with routines. Here's the problem with what I'm saying. Is it's so easy to become complacent. It's so easy to get settled in a routine. And when, uh, I, I, I've heard it said, I love this. When a routine becomes a routine, it becomes religious. And we're not striving to be religious. We want to put these things in our lives. We want, we want Christian disciplines. When Christian disciplines become routines, far too often they become religious. And it becomes a set of rules and regulations, what you can do and can't do. I have to do this. I can't do that. That's not the goal. The goal of Christian disciplines is to seek after God. The goal of doing these things is to pursue God. But it, it's really easy to become complacent in them. 
It, it's kind of like, uh, like working out. Anybody work out in here? No, I didn't think so. No, I'm just, <laughs> it's kind of like working out. And, um, you know, they say when you're working out that you have to change your workout routine every couple weeks because your body gets used to what you're doing and you start to plateau. And so if you, if you keep the same routine for two, three weeks, and then if you continue that, then you're not actually building muscle anymore. You're, you, you've plateaued, you've reached the limit. And that's what I'm saying. I think it's easy for us to become complacent in what we're doing. It's easy for us to just start thinking, man, you know what? I'm in the furnace and I go to three prayer meetings a week or I'm in six hours of prayer a week and I spend time with God every day and I am in the part of an accountability group and I am awesome. And so I, you know, this is just what I've done for, and, and I'm good to go. And, and we, you get in a routine and it's not about routine. And so, so I'm not like a massive workout guru, obviously. But what you have to do is you have to change up your, your routine in order to continue. And you have to strengthen it. You have to make it harder. So here's what happens. In your routines, you have to continually make them harder so that you can go deeper. Don't get stuck thinking that you've set up the perfect path. Because the moment that you think it's the perfect path, it's probably going to get you sidetracked and you're just going to be bored. And three months later, you're like, why, why am I bored here? Don't get complacent. I think that it's really easy to become complacent and, uh, in our lives and to just get comfortable, just okay. You know, we don't hunger to be hungry anymore. We're just, we're comfortable. I'm, I'm easy with going to church on Sunday mornings and trying to be good throughout the week. Or I'm, I'm okay with what my life looks like. The moment you get comfortable, it's so easy to neglect pursuing God. The moment that you get comfortable, it's, it's really easy. And I'm not trying to tell you, like, don't be, no, this is the opposite of don't be disciplined. This is be even more disciplined in, than you are right now. This is, don't get, don't use your disciplines as a crutch. Don't use the furnace as a crutch. Don't use your church as a crutch. You seek after God. Because it's really easy to have other people become crutches. It's really easy to get stuck and become complacent. Exodus 13 is, uh, talks about the, the Israelites, and uh, I'm just going to read it a little bit. Exodus, sorry, it's Exodus 16. I don't know why I said 13. Exodus 16. It's a common story. Most all of you will know it. Um, actually, I'm not going to read it. You can read it later. It's a whole chapter. Basically, it's a chapter about the quail and manna. And, uh, and so what happens is the people are hungry, and they're complaining, and they say, we need food, we're in the desert, we need something. And so God tells Moses, he says, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to send birds from heaven to land at your door. See, the Israelites were hunters like me. They'd be great if it's at their door. They don't want to go out and get it, you know? Like if I walked out and there's a dead animal at my door, I'd be like, man, I am a hunter, you know? But anyway, so, so quail come, and they just land at the doorstep. And every morning, it, it rained down a honey bread. This, this manna would rain down. And so, but the rule was, what God set up is, you have to go out and, and get only enough for that day. Don't get enough, don't, don't keep more, just, just enough for that day. On day six, get enough for two days, because day seven's the Sabbath. And so, so it would rain bread, which is really interesting. I've always kind of wondered what that looked like. Did people go out in that? I mean, like, was it kind of like when it's hailing, you know, did, did their carts get dented up by the I don't know but so it's raining bread and uh and so they're in their huts and then all of a sudden you know so they go out and they gather up their bread 
and they take it in their house, and they are eating it. And this is why I'm convinced that God likes donuts, because there's bread with a sweet honey bread. And so that's what, bread from heaven is sweet. So God must like donuts for breakfast. So anyway, besides the point. So, so, but some of the people, they gather bread, and then you know, what they're supposed to do at the end of the day, if they, if they had extras, they'd toss it out. But some of them kept it over, and they said, no, we want, we, we, we want to get more and keep it through the night. Because what if it doesn't come tomorrow? What if it doesn't rain bread from the sky? Which is actually a feasible question. <laughs> Unless you have seen bread raining from the sky, and then I don't know why you would question it. So they'd keep this bread through the night, and uh, the next morning when they wake up, they'd go to get their honey bread, and, uh, and there'd be maggots in it, and it'd be ruined, and, and it, didn't, it wasn't good. See, I think, friends, sometimes we get stuck being okay with what, what I'll call yesterday's manna. When God wants to give you fresh revelation today, sometimes we get stuck being okay with the revelation that we got yesterday or last week or last year. I heard a pastor one time say, I, I quote it all the time because I love it. He said, if you're not taking ground, then you're losing it. Don't get stuck being okay with yesterday's manna. Go get what is for today. So don't become complacent. Don't get comfortable with where you're at. That is a ma massive detour. Number three. Number three. Assumptions. I think one of the great things that will keep you from fervently pursuing God are the assumptions that you have. The assumptions about God. The assumptions about yourself. The assumptions about other people. So I, I, I do believe that actually being in pursuit of God means taking action. And, uh, and sometimes it's those assumptions that paralyze us. Sometimes we assume about ourselves. I'm, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too smart. I'm too dumb. I don't know how many of you are like, I'm too smart. Maybe some. You know, I don't, uh, I think one common one, is I don't deserve blank. Fill it in. I'm not good enough. Um. I'm, I'm underqualified, God, you know, it's, it's too late for me, it's too early for me. We start having these assumptions about what God, what we think about God in terms of how he's going to use you or what he wants to show you, and it limits us from, from encountering him. Some, some of the assumptions are, are um, more selfish. Some of them are, I assume that if I really pursue God, he is going to mess with my perfect plan. He's going to make me change my college degree, or he's going to make me quit my job. If I really pursue him, I'm afraid that he, I don't really want to allow him to mess with my life. I've planned out this perfect little life, and I'm someday going to find a perfect little wife, you know, and so I have to, I have to keep this. And so we're afraid that, that, that actually pursuing God will mess that up. We assume that it's going to do that. We assume that God's going to tell you to do the opposite of whatever you want to do. This is one I see all the time. You know, like, people are like, like people think, I really, I never would want to ever live in Kansas. Oh, God must be calling me there. You know, like, we assume, like, whatever we don't want to do, oh, that must be what God wants me to do. Otherwise, why would I not want to do it? I don't know, maybe, but don't assume those things. Let him tell you. Don't assume that God's going to mess up your life. If you pursue him and he messes it up, guess what? That's probably a good thing. 
But we, let, we allow our, our, our assumptions to be handcuffs. We allow them to chain us down, and we think we know about God. Another one I think is, uh, is you know what, I'm good. I'm good, man. I, it's what I talked about earlier, man. I go to, I'm praying like 10 hours a week. I spend time with God every day. You know, I'm, man, I'm doing this. You should see my other friends. You should see the people I went to high school with. They're nothing like where I'm at. I, I, I feel like I'm good. Don't assume you're good. Don't assume that you've arrived. Friends, you have not arrived. But I have good news for you. You will never arrive. Ah, you're like, that's not good news. Yes, it is. I've not arrived. Justin's not arrived. Daniel's not arrived. Amy's arrived, but, you know. Listen, nobody has arrived. None of us are ever at the end. One day, we'll stand before the throne, we'll see God, and we'll be like, wow. I was nothing like what I thought I was. I thought I was a big shot. I wasn't. I thought I was nothing. God really used me. I had no idea. All of my preconceived notions were wrong. Don't let your assumptions limit you. So I think it's good to to even ask yourself, what are the things that you assume about God? What are the things that you assume that you think that are keeping you from desperately pursuing Him? And we keep, I keep throwing, I mean, in desperate pursuit, I love the word desperate before that because it's not just like, you know, God, where are you? Come out, come out from wherever you are. I mean, desperate pursuit of God is like, I just, whenever I, I, I think of the word, I, I, I just think of like a person drowning, scree- like just longing for oxygen. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there. You know, like when you're chicken fighting in a pool. And, uh, and you're the person on bottom, and, and, and the person on top is, like, smashing you down because you're so small, and you're under the water, and you can't breathe, and so you're dying, and so you just start, it could be your best friend or wife on top, and you just start punching whoever is there because you have to get up. I'm just joking. That's never happened. I, you don't care who it is. I mean, you just start throwing elbows and biting and doing whatever you can to get this person off of you. Because you got to get some oxygen. Friends, we don't understand what really being in desperate pursuit of God is. I think most of us are pursuing Him, but we're not really desperate. I want to get to where I'm desperate. I want to get to where anyone holding me down, I am punching and biting to get off of me. Because I need to connect. I need to encounter Him. I think sometimes it's our assumptions that keep us from Him. Uh, one last one I think is that, you know what, God is really, he's, he's so big that what's the point? I'll never fully understand him. I'll never fully be able to, I, 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 I don't want to tie my brain in theological knots, so I'm not going to talk about that, or I'm not going to think about those things. I don't, I don't want to get confused by that, and so I'm just going to pull back, and I don't want to really know, I, I don't want to study him out because he's unstudyable. Friends, get to know him. Find out. I think the, listen, every person in this room, you have a theology. Every person in the world has a theology. You have what you think about God. I want us to actually wrestle with that and study that and find out, is what I think right? Because there's no purpose in having a wrong view of God. So don't think God's too big. You know, he's unknowable. He's, his ways are bigger than my ways, and so why even find out? No, ask him. Get to know him. Don't let your assumptions hold you down. Number four. 
fourth thing that I've seen that I believe will keep you from chasing after God with all of your heart is shame. The enemy will try to neutralize your spiritual intensity by getting you to focus on what you have done in the past. He's going to try to get you to think through, what have I done wrong? God, I, you, you come before God in prayer, and you're like, God, I feel so dirty, and, and I, you know, I don't want to be here. I can't stay. I, I've done too much. And this, this is a direct result. This is the, the assumptions. These are the lies that the enemy tells you. You know, I'm not good enough. I've done too much. God could never really love me. And we allow the shame of the past to limit you in your pursuit of God. And I think all of us know what that's like. Because, listen, all of us have sinned. Every one of us. And every one of us have had to wake up the next day or go to church the next week. I don't know. And the, the first time when you do something that you know is wrong, I don't care if it's that night or a month later, the first time you're in like a place where you feel like you're encountering God, there's this shame. And it's like, I can't worship. I'm too, I'm too, I got too much in me that's wrong. I can't pray right now. I can't spend time with him. I mean, you know, you know, I think you know, I know. If I, if, if I sin, the next morning my alarm clock goes off, I don't want to get up and read my Bible. That's not like I'm like, skippity-doo-dah, let's go read the Bible. No, it's like, it's this, this shame that keeps us from going after him. I think it's one of the main things the enemy will try to do. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit... Oh, sorry, let me read. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. Listen to the difference between there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, and earlier when I said... Your spiritual uh, neutralize your spiritual intensity by getting you to focus on what you have done in the past. See, here's what shame does. Shame makes it about you. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says it's about Jesus. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Don't allow your shame. You haven't done anything that the cross can't cover. You haven't done anything that Jesus won't forgive. That's the great part of it. You can't, you, you haven't earned it. And you haven't disqualified yourself from it. It's all about him, not about you. So don't allow the things of your past to limit you from your pursuit of God today. John 6, says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can go to the Father, no one go to, to Jesus unless God draws us. All of you should have read about that this week. Huh? Anybody tell me what it's called? It's, it, it, is, it is in chapter 1. Provenient grace. No one can go to Jesus unless God first places a hunger in you. So don't let your shame lie to you saying you're not good enough. If you want him, that's it. The, God placing that hunger in you should be enough for you. You couldn't have that hunger if not for him. So don't let the shame of the past keep you from him. Because he's the one that placed the hunger in you in the first place. Shame will keep you down. Number five. Number five is failure. 
again, this is so often what we do when we look at ourselves. We look at what we've done. I've tried before. I, I think a lot of us say that, you know, like, man, I tried to have a God time every day last week, and I failed, so why try again? I tried to fast before, and I didn't, so I'm not a very good faster. I don't have the gift of fasting. I don't know anybody that has the gift of fasting. Oh, God just hasn't given me that grace, you know. I'm not going to try it again. I've tried to do the God thing, and man, I, just, I, I, just, I failed so hard. I just don't think I can do it. One of the big things is if you begin to look at your failures, then you'll never move forward again. I love, uh, I, I love the guy that Dave quotes all the time that looks at him and says, I have failed more fast than you've started. I love that. I've failed more than you've even started. That's good news because you're still going. Friends, when you, the, the, the what's going to point out that you have a tenacity in your spirit to know God is not that you, if you will, fall. Because you will. We're all going to fall. But I want to be the kind of person that when I'm running after Jesus and I fall flat on my face, that I get up and run even harder. I want to run to God in those moments, not away from Him. Don't let your failures of the past limit you in the future. John 21. Everybody know who Peter is? Peter in the Bible? You guys know who he is? Nobody? Okay. Uh, Peter, let me tell you, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. Crazy guy. He had a big afro. I don't know that, but all the movies, in all the Jesus movies, Peter always has a huge afro. And I don't get it, but he does. So Peter, um, I know you know who he is. Uh, Peter, after, when Jesus in, in the garden, you know, he cut off the guy's ear, and then Jesus put it back on, and probably, probably winked at Peter, and he's like, what are you doing? And, and uh, what a crazy, crazy, you know. Anyway, and then Peter goes off, and he, and he goes, and, and Peter runs, and three times he denies Jesus. He denies him to a soldier. He denies him to a, 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 a slave girl. So there's a little girl that can't hurt him. I mean, Peter, big guy, burly guy, Afro, and this girl's like, hey, didn't, didn't you used to hang out with Jesus? And he was like, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. No way. I mean, he wasn't scared. Like, okay, the soldier, I understand. Soldier's got a sword, and I just cut a guy's ear off. I shouldn't tell this guy, you know. But this little girl, he's like, nope, nope. Servant girl, I don't know him. Three times he denied him. Three times Peter failed. In John 21, Jesus has died. And he rose. He came back. He saw the disciples. He said, meet me at the mountain. And uh, so then John 21, I just want to read this. Uh, after Jesus again, after Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, it happened this way. I like that John wrote it that way. It just makes it feel like a play. It happened this way. Like, I don't know. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples, so seven of them, were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. It's really interesting. Uh, one, that they would go to fish, because Jesus said, I'll meet you at the mountain, and the mountain is not the, the lake. And uh, he, didn't, he wasn't like, hey, I'll see you at 5 p.m. He just said, I'll see you. And so he could have come at any time. And, uh, but they decided to leave, and they decided to go fishing. And I, I don't think that's any small thing. Peter is probably living in some pretty big shame right here. He just 
you know, the guy that he had committed the last three years of his life to, the guy that he had traveled all over with, seeing miracles, the guy that he proclaimed when he was asked, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That guy. I mean, Jesus, Peter was there, the transfiguration. I mean, he saw Moses and I mean, he saw, I mean, it was a pretty, Peter had seen a lot. That guy. A girl, little little servant girl said, hey, did you know Jesus? No. No, I didn't know him. Three times he denied him. The shame in that moment. It's probably unbearable. So he looked at his boys. He said, guys, let's go, let's go catch some fish. The thing I think is interesting about Jesus, or Peter going out to catch fish is because that's what he did before. For three years, he had walked with Jesus and... Uh, Everything had been taken care of for him. He probably hadn't fished in three years. Maybe the occasional, you know, weekend retreat or something. But, but I mean, he, that wasn't what he did for a living anymore. Now all of a sudden he says, guys, man, let's go back. Let's go back to the way we were. I'm a really good fisherman. I mean, like, I know how to do that. I don't know if you know this, but we've been kind of supported the last three years. And our main dude died. I don't know how we're going to eat. Let's, 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 people aren't going to support us now. Let's, let's go fish got to make a living somehow, right? I don't know this. Different, different scholars think differently, but I think this is a statement of Peter's heart. He's going back to the old way. He had failed. He tried. He, he went hard for three years, but when push came to shove, at the, at the big moment, he failed. So he said, let's go back and fish. They went out. They caught nothing. You guys know the story. Jesus comes, stands, says, throw it on the other side. They put it on the other side. Boom. Catch so many fish that the nets are breaking. Someone says, hey, that's Jesus. Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to him. And then there they are, verse 15. Jesus, uh, Peter swims to him. He gets to, this is a really fun part of the story. So he swims to the shore, and Jesus already has breakfast for them. So, like, they just caught the fish. It's not like they, like, brought in the fish. Like, Jesus already had fish. I wonder if he made those fish right there. You know, like, if he was just like, throw it on the other side. Like, got fish. You know, I don't know. So he'd already had fish for them. And uh, so verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. What an interesting scenario. So here's what I think happened. There are the different people disagree on what this was. Some people look at and think Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you love me more than these guys? Like, do you love me more than the other disciples? Maybe that's how it happened. Uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of unclear. I think Peter had just gone back to the boats. I think Jesus pointed at the fish that he had just created. He said, Peter, you love me more than these. Do you love me more than your old way of life? Do you love me more than what you used to be? Peter said, yes. Because Jesus knew that he loved him. Three times Jesus asked him. Three times Peter denied three times, Jesus made Peter say, I love you. I don't think Jesus was, was hard of hearing. I don't think he didn't understand. 
in this moment, he was causing Peter to realize that your failures of the past do not define you. He said, you betrayed me three times there, but I'm telling you now, you love me, and I'm going to make you say it three times. He said, do you love me more than your old way of life? Yes. Maybe he mixed it up. Maybe he then said, you know, maybe he did ask if he loved him more than disciples. I don't know. But he made him say three times, Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you. Friends, there are, you will have failures, and the enemy will try to keep you from going after Jesus. He, he will try to tempt you to go back to your old way of life because of those failures. But at the heart of it, I believe that you are not defined by your failures. You are defined by Jesus. And, and like Peter, you're defined because you do love him. The reason Peter wanted to go back to the fish was because he loved Jesus so much that he was so ashamed of what he had done. Jesus saw his love. He said, you love me, you love me, you love me. Don't let your past failures define you. Don't let the things that you've done before cause you to say, I got to go back. You know what? I'm moving back to Alabama and getting a job at my mom's store because I've I was good. I, I was I was successful then. You know, this is really too hard. This people calling me to a higher higher level of accountability. It's really hard. I fail a lot, and I just can't hack it. I'm not doing. It. I'm going back to the way things used to be. You can, but it's not who you're called to be, and it's going to limit you in going back. Jesus looked at Peter and he said, "You love me at your core." I want to look at each one of you guys and say, though you failed in the past, and though you're going to fail in the future. Don't let your failures keep you from moving forward. Don't let the things you've done before limit you. And the moment that you start to feel, you know what, I don't want to do this, and I'm just going back to how I used to be, know this, that is an attack on your life. That is not the Holy Spirit whispering, psst, dude, you're not quite good enough. Why don't you go back to fishing? That is an attack on your life to try to get you to settle for average. I believe the Because he's not going to tempt you. We all know this. He's not going to tempt you to go and, you know, kill people. I mean, maybe that was your old way of life. I don't know. But he's not going to try to tempt you to go and, like, you're like, man, I, I just, I tried the God thing and it didn't work for me. So I'm going to go, you know, be addicted to cocaine and, you know, start punching cats. That's not what he's going to do. He wants you to be average. He wants you to be boring. Because if you're boring and you don't think you're bad, you assume that you're good and you're worthless in a way. God, God's, if you're not pursuing God with all you have, if you're just okay with where you're at, there's kind of just this eh, attitude. That's where the enemy wants you. So don't let the failures of the past, when you've tried to go after God and you said, you know what, I tried to do it. I, just, I wasn't cut out for it. It was too much for me. Don't stop. And number six, the last thing, is fear. As humans, we have this really weird fear of the things that we don't know. And when we talk about pursuing God, we don't know what that looks like. And fear often keeps us, uh, well, fear keeps you average. 
Fear keeps you doing all the same things that everybody else is doing. Fear keeps you doing what's familiar to you rather than stepping out, acting in faith, taking hard steps, and letting God lead you. Because the beauty of God leading you is ultimately, I don't believe God is leading you to a job. I don't believe God is leading you to a ministry vocation or a calling. I think God is leading you to himself. And along the way, yeah, he's going to use you. But his leading is ultimately to himself. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. So don't let, don't let fear, or possibly fear, what if I try to go hard after God and I can't do it? So what? Go anyway. Don't let fear of what life may look like. Listen, God is not a God of fear. He calls us to have faith in Him. So I'm going to pray for you tonight. I'm going to pray for each one of us. And, and all of you, my guess is that most of us have experienced some of this to some degree and will experience some of it to an even greater degree. So my hope, I, I hope that some of you are like, man, you just talked about six things I have never felt in my life. That'd be great. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I think most of us have felt some of that. And I want to pray for freedom over those things. Because these things will keep you tame. These things will keep you from going outside and looking at the bear. That's a good thing. But these things will keep you from, from living a life of fullness in Christ. And there's a lot more, just so you know. I'm not saying this is an all-inclusive list, by no means. But these are some of the things that, as we've done this now for eight years, eight and a half years, that we've seen. And it's real. These are real things. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.